My name is Brandon. It is so good to see some of you. Each week we're seeing folks that are here for the first time in a long time as we've, you know, gone through all that we've gone through and people are starting to come back. And yes, this morning was, uh, was, was different. And I just, but, I, but as Susan alluded to, I'm coming to expect it or not be surprised by it. At least I, uh, I left at around seven as I, well, first of all, I got off, I got up and after being up most of the night, because the waters were rising, as we know, uh, we have a creek in our yard where we live, uh, currently. And so, but we were fine, but was up, you know, late, late, kind of worried and ended up waking up at six thirty. you know, like, Oh no, I've slept too long. And then I realized the power was out. And so we didn't have any power, um, in the house, but I was able to get ready, but leaving after getting ready, there was a, the, there was a, what do you call it? A pole, electrical pole all the way across the little street that we're living on. And so it was even difficult to get out of the, out of the driveway, but I was able to, and, and around it, um, man, and then I got all the way here and coming from the east or whatever direction that is, that side of the river out there. Couldn't even get to church, had to come back around and go. And so I finally got here and all that to say, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning, to open God's word, to consider uh, some of the things that I think God has for us to consider this morning. I did leave out one little part of that journey to church. Uh, I, uh, in Belmead, where the police are compensated so well, I was pulled over this morning going 52 and a 40, which I feel like is pretty reasonable for all that was going on. But I will say, don't speed. I tried not to, and I was in the wrong, and I got pulled over, and I, I experienced it, you know, that bless his heart. He looked at my driver's license, and he came back in a couple of minutes, and he said, man, happy birthday. <laughs> Get out of here. So that was good, because getting a, a citation, would that would I would not be over that yet, and I wouldn't be laughing with you right now, but gosh, Luke 19 is where we are, we are going to be today as Oksana beautifully expressed to us is Palm Sunday. Sometimes I kind of call it passion Sunday as well, because we are entering into the last week of Jesus's life. And yes, there was some ambivalence in the city as Jesus came in Luke, Mark, Matthew, John, they tell it a little bit differently. Uh, in Luke's account that we're looking at today, there actually are not palm branches, which kind of bummed me out. It's actually only palm branches in one of the Gospels. But, um, and, and there's not as big of a crowd in Luke. So it's almost like Luke is trying to tell us, he's trying to, the disciples are just there, is what it seems like in Luke's account. But then the Pharisees show up. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's read it together. Beginning in verse 28. I I like to hold my Bible when I read the text with y'all. My Bible is at home, fitting with the events of the day. Verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. 
As you enter it, you will find a colt, a, a donkey, tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Well, the Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. I love that. I'm going to, we're going to read 41 through 44, but I just want to, I don't want to stop there because that's really remarkable for him to say the stones will cry out. And I didn't spend much time in my manuscript and what I'm planning to, to say with y'all today about the stones. Um, but what that means is you just can't subdue what is true. This is Jesus speaking less uh, literally here about the stones crying out, although he could make the stones cry out, I think, I believe. But what really is being said here is open your eyes, church, disciples. For us, it would be church. Pay attention to what is going on. See me, Jesus is saying. You can't hide what is true. And if you're not going to testify to it, the stones will. It's powerful. Verse 41, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come, when on, uh, days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. Because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. May God add God's blessing to the reading of his word. That last section, uh, I will say before we jump in, uh, is, is likely in reference to what happened 40 or so years later when Rome uh, crushed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And Jesus is likely alluding to that, we believe. But it has ramifications for all of us. That last line, you did not recognize the time when God visited you. So let's unpack this a little more as we, as we consider these really wonderful, incredible words from Jesus. It was a couple of years ago, y'all. It may have been the last time that I went to a movie. I don't remember. But I went with uh, my wife who I was really concerned is not in here, but then I remembered that she's helping in the nursery. So I really need to get it together today, but she's, she's okay. She's back there with Hattie and all the little ones. We went to see the movie, uh, Downton Abbey when it was made into a movie. Now 
I watched every episode of that show with her, and I loved it, and I'm not apologizing for it. It was neat. It was, I'd never seen anything like it. And so I would like to say that I showed up at the movie theater because Leslie Ann drugged me because that's something that we guys are... But no, I was there for it. I was very excited to see Downton Abbey. And this movie set in 1927 when the show set, it depicted King George and Queen Mary coming for a visit. Did you see it? Do you remember? They were coming for a visit and everybody was just in a tizzy trying to get everything ready for this visit coming for dinner with the Crawleys, the Crawleys who I felt like were such down to earth aristocrats. I just love them and watching that show. I do remember in the film that Lady Edith, <laughs> Lord Crawley's second daughter, came home with her new husband and their daughter, their young child. She had moved away and lived elsewhere, and she came home. They drove themselves, and they pulled up, and they're met by her father, Lord Crawley, and he says, oh, how did he say it exactly? He said, no maid, no valet, that's how they say valet, no nanny even. It's 1927, and we are modern folk. He could have just as well said, we are now acting as the middle class. You know, I visited London a couple of years ago with Leslie Ann, and we toured Buckingham Palace, and it is not middle class. <laughs> the price tag on the stuff in places like that uh, will take your breath away. But I can see how us middle class folks, me included, we, we like to dress our own homes up looking like the rooms that I saw as much as we can in that palace or that we might see in a place like Downton. We try hard to emulate those palaces to dress our digs up with sophistication. And this speaks, y'all, to the kind of king and queen that we want. It does speak to that, the kinds of politicians that we want, the kinds of leaders in our lives that we want and that we want to be. So we imagine God in this vein. We imagine God wanting those things for us. Nice house, good job, fancy car, the right friends, the right reputation, favor in the world, and joy. Joy exclusively in our worship gatherings. But that sells Jesus short. That misrepresents his kingship. In our culture, we are more interested in success, unfortunately, than we are sacrifice. Now, as we talked about last week, the kind of king, the kind of Messiah that the people were looking for, were expecting was one who was going to bring about peace, but who would bring about it, bring it about with strength through military success. But Jesus brings peace through suffering. Jesus brings peace through sacrifice. Jesus brings peace through service. And more specifically, last week, we looked at the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on what we now know as the last night of his life. And this is when he introduced the new covenant to them, as we talked about. The new covenant that was going to be ushered in through his broken body, through his shed blood. But it was in the very next scene if we trust the chronology at that point in Luke's gospel, and I believe that we can because the text says then, right after they finish up with supper, uh, well, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom. In the text, it says this in Luke twenty-two, twenty-five through uh, 27, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority 
over them have themselves called benefactors. It's not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should be like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who's greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus brings peace through suffering. Jesus brings peace through sacrifice. Jesus brings peace through service. We talk about the donkey. I'm fascinated by the donkey in this story because it speaks so directly to prophecy, and I love that. I love when the Old Testament is connected with the New Testament in such a tangible way. I love what this says about Jesus who knew the text so well and knew that his disciples would know the text. And so they, they, they would have a chance to put these dots together, connect these dots as Jesus was going along. This was a very strategic move for Jesus to tell them in such definitive terms to go and what to do with the donkey and how to ask for it and how to get it. And I, I don't know if I was taught this or if I just inferred it at a young age, but I mistook the donkey for a long, long time that Jesus requested riding on as, as um, the, the symbol of it. What the picture demonstrates would be um, uh, deference on Jesus's part or meekness or even perhaps weakness. But that's not the case. The picture being painted here by Jesus, well, if he had been on a horse, which I think we would all agree would would seem stronger, more king-like perhaps. Well, kings rode on horses during wartime. Kings rode on donkeys during peacetime. The riding on the donkey was less about weakness and more about the circumstances that the king, Jesus, was coming within. A king on a horse, well, again, wartime. On a donkey, peacetime. It should not surprise us that Jesus is bringing peace through suffering, peace through sacrifice, peace through service. We've been walking through Luke. We've been... We've been experiencing this with Jesus just as he experienced it with his disciples. And it should not surprise us just like it should not surprise the disciples that Jesus had already turned his face, remember, toward Jerusalem back several chapters ago. He had told them three times where he was going and what was going to happen to him when he was there. He said in Luke 9, it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised to the third day. I was, I was sitting with Elliot on the front row, and he came straight from small group this morning, and he was holding the paper that he took with him, and I love this. Our kids got, he nailed it this morning, teachers. Jesus' triumphal entry, Jesus' last supper, Jesus was arrested, Jesus was crucified, Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, we're allowing our children the chance to hold the totality of what happens during Jesus' last week, and he, more than once, three times at least, told his disciples what was going to happen. And y'all, I got to tell you, this scene with the donkey is, 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 I believe, Jesus saying one more time, are you going to recognize me? Are you going to get behind what is about to happen? Or are you still going to have your eyes covered up? 
Are you still going to miss it? I think he's saying on this donkey, look at me, see me, see what is happening here. See what actually brings peace. You see, Jesus riding into town on the donkey from the Mount of Olives, as the text tells us, this is big time courage, y'all. See, I think, well, Oksana alluded to it earlier with the beautiful question that she posed. I mean, we, we probably assume, those of us who have a similar experience that I do in the church, we probably assume that Jesus knew what was up, right? Knew where he was going. That's why we, we, we infer from him telling his disciples this, what was going to happen to him, that he was, he was all in on it. We believe that. But it doesn't mean he liked it. You see, just as Jesus was fully God, our theology teaches us Jesus is also fully man. That's a bigger conversation than we have in a 20-minute sermon. But I encourage you to have that conversation. I love having that conversation, wondering how much Jesus leaned in to this divinity that he shared with God because he was God. And then how much of this was Jesus lamenting, sad about we talked about it last week. He, he had this meal with his, with his best friends, at least partly because he wanted to spend that time with them. This was a man going to his death. And he's saying, please don't let it be in vain. Please don't miss it. Please understand what is going on here. You want peace through a sword because that's easy. And that's what the world says it should be. But I'm showing you a different way. Peace through suffering, peace through sacrifice, peace through service. The, the brilliant uh, Scottish New Testament scholar, William Barclay, once said there are two kinds of, of, of courage. There's the kind of courage that throws herself or himself in front of a, a, a car and knocks the, the child out of the way. The, the, the kind of bravery that is instinctual, that, that shows up just in the nick of time. And then there is the other kind of service that sees danger coming from a long way off. Now, I remember landing in Kansas City the first time I visited. My seminary was there, so I went a few times. And uh, I remember the first time I went there, we got off the plane. I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I love this story because it just blew my mind. And, and we, we're, we're there and the, you know, Kansas is just, it's just a, not a lot of hills and it's just, just flat, you know, all in the Midwest. And so there was a thunderstorm coming and it looked aggressive and mean and it looked like it was right there about to hit us. And so we got to the rental car counter and the sweet lady at the Hertz dealership and I was, I was saying, uh, the Hertz counter and I was saying, we need to, we need to get going, don't we need to get to the car because... I wasn't trying to hurry her. I was making conversation because uh, there's a storm coming, right? It's almost here. She said, oh, no, honey, that's more than an hour away. It's like, what? Looks like it's right there. No, it had quite a while before it was going to get there. So I learned something because it's so flat out there because sometimes the danger is further out. Sometimes it's going to take a while for it to materialize. Sometimes you have to sit with the danger that you know is coming a little bit longer. You have to anticipate it more. The kind of danger, this kind of danger allows for plenty of time to choose an alternative path. Now, stay with me here. Some years ago, Greek author, and I'm going to try to pronounce this right, Nikos Kazantzakis. He wrote The Last Temptation of Christ. Maybe some of you have read it. I have not, but I've read about it. And this work was made into a movie that became quite controversial because the movie was actually... Um, as I understood, it was protested far and wide 
because of the contents of this movie. And what the author did is took the liberty, the creative license, to imagine Jesus making a different decision at the triumphal entry. Imagine Jesus once getting into Jerusalem, dismounting the donkey, imagining all the events that were about to take place during Passion Week. And he thought to himself, why don't I just go back? Go back to Nazareth, get married, have a family, build some awesome furniture, and just get out. Could you have blamed him? But we know that Jesus did not do that. Jesus demonstrated this second kind of courage, this enduring courage. He is heading into Jerusalem, and he knows what befalls him. That's what I believe. He knows what is coming, and he doesn't get out. He doesn't retreat. Even though he has plenty of time to decide to, he embraces the fear, and he makes plans to kill that fear once and for all, for us all. Now, think again with me, the the, the scene at Downton Abbey with the king and the queen coming. Everything being prepared perfectly yet frantically. No stone being unturned, no smudges on the fine china, no pillow unfluffed. The king and queen are coming. And even though Lord Crawley is joking about them being modern folk, who are they kidding? That's not who the king and queen come and dine with. They take the invitations from the folks that can meet their expectations where things will be just as they expect them to be. Now, I'm chuckling to myself painting this picture for you because when <laughs> I think about the time when I started spending time with my, with my wife, we were actually engaged already, and I got a gift from my mother-in-law, whom I love dearly. She's become a mother to me. She is wonderful, but she did, when I was engaged to her oldest daughter, give me a book, uh, Amy Vanderbilt's Book of Etiquette. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know what to infer about that. I should ask Nina about that. But make no mistake, Amy Vanderbilt would have been uh, all in. She would have signed off on every aspect of this soiree that the Crawleys put together for the king and the queen coming. And every guest would have anticipated this party being perfect, and that's what it was. It was perfect. But the crowd with Jesus. Yeah, they're singing. They're quoting Zechariah. They are dropping their coats in his path. They are doing the things that make it look like they are all in on who Jesus is being lauded as. But I have a suspicion that they're also looking over their shoulder. I have a suspicion that they have heard what Jesus has said. And while they are celebrating him because, yes, they do love him, they're aware of this other crowd that Oksana alluded to. They're aware of what might be about to happen. They sense that the tide is going to turn against Jesus. And they certainly desire peace as any of us do, but it takes a special kind of courage to go where Jesus is about to go by the end of this week. Jesus offers peace through suffering, through sacrifice, through service, and, and some don't want it because it means we may be brought to suffering ourselves. I think you know that. I think you know that that's a possibility. I have been here long enough to know of so many of you saints in this church who, who have lived this and do know this and do commit to helping others understand that it is not a cakewalk to follow Jesus, that things will not always be as we might hope they would be easy. 
not telling you to be against easy. But Jesus tells us, I believe, clearly not to always expect it. Jesus offers peace through suffering, peace through sacrifice, peace through service. It's the only way to real peace. Now, before I finish, I want to go back to the last four verses in this text. Back to verse 41 through 44. 41 begins, it says, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. There's two times I understand that Jesus wept in the Gospels. First one is when his friend Lazarus died, and it says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible our kids usually learn. He wept in that case, the word is inwardly, silently. He was grieving his friend, and he was going to miss his friend. But it was an inward, quiet cry. I have those. I'm familiar with that. This cry was audible. It wasn't just audible, it was loud. If you go down the Mount of Olives, I've not been there yet, but I'm going to go someday. My understanding is, is about where Jesus probably was in Luke's telling of this story. If you look, you can see the whole city. And he looks out at the city. And he weeps. Loudly. Heartbroken. And he says, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. What does that hidden from your eyes mean? Well, it means that a lot of the next seven days are going to be, or five days or what are going to be lonely for Jesus. Because now it's hidden from their eyes. That while he has tried so hard to demonstrate, to show with his life, with his words, with his teachings, with his healings, with his miracles, what peace looks like and where it comes from, he now is realizing it will be hidden from their eyes for the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. They will ensnare you. They will trap you. They will crush you. And not one stone will be left on another in your midst. Why? Because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Church, we sit with this text and we beg God and one another to not let this happen again. Let us not be in the situation where we do not recognize the time when God visited us. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard night. Many of us have wept as Jesus is weeping here in our passage. Many of us are still weeping. Luke 19.10. Many commentators say you can trace what's going on in the passage, our passage today, back to Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus. Where Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus ends with Jesus saying, For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Don't be offended by the lost, even if you're lost today. Lost things are loved things, and you are loved by your Creator. You are loved by Jesus. And I want you this week to sit with Him 
wherever you are on your journey in following and being formed by Jesus. And I want you to be encouraged to sit in the reality of this story and where Jesus is going, because at least part of what Jesus is telling us, demonstrating for us and going to the cross is that, yes, peace is available through suffering, through sacrifice, through service, but he loves you. And as Anne Lamott says, the greatest testimony we could utter to one another ever is the testimony that Jesus utters to you. Whatever you are going through, whatever you feel, whatever suffering, sacrifice, whatever service is being called upon in your life, Jesus says, me too. He says, me too. I get it. I understand. I died for you. There is nothing you can experience that he doesn't get. He gets you. He wants you to know it. Peace through suffering, peace through sacrifice, peace through service. Do not miss this morning that the king is coming. And the king does bring peace. But it's different than other kings. Jesus doesn't give us peace as much as Jesus is peace. And gives us himself. Let's pray.